Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Good morning, Bethel Atlanta. Hello. I'm so happy to be with you this morning and spend some time together. Uh, My heart has just been so heavy and invested in these moments we're going to spend together. And I, I have been in this role at Bethel Atlanta for seven years now. And, you know, one of my highest honors has felt like I get to be the mouthpiece for our leadership team. I get to be the mouthpiece for our family. I get to say things that we're all feeling and longing for and desiring. And I represent us. And above that, I earn with a passion to say what the Father is saying. And so um, I'm going to say things today that we are all aching to say. And the first one is racism is gut-wrenching evil. And it has broken our hearts to come out of a, a pandemic to three unfathomable uh, devastations to the black race. And I understand this is not a new battle. This is an ancient battle. This is is not the life force behind racism did not start in the media. It will not be defeated in the media. This life force behind racism is a demonic influence that is the deepest levels of evil that the people of God, the body of Christ have been commissioned to see defeated and destroyed on the earth. And I have, I have just in these last couple weeks been in a process of deep transformation and have not wanted to do anything to say something that would release the pressure that the Holy Spirit has been putting on my heart. And, you know, I uh, heard Miles McPherson say this week that um, before we decide what we're gonna do about injustice, we first need to decide who we're gonna become and become a humble learner. And so, uh, and I heard Stephen Furtick say, before you decide how you're gonna stand up, you need to sit down and take time to listen and understand. And so I have tucked myself away listening and sitting and wrestling in the anguish with you. And, you know, I have, I have felt deep guilt and shame over what I have discovered in my own heart that I've just never seen before, honestly. And, you know, sometimes we can feel guilt and shame and know that's not the Holy Spirit. And guilt and shame will never move us forward towards healing. It's never uh, what injustice needs. It will never move us into victory. But what when we allow ourselves to sit in the guilt and shame and allow it to do something in us, it will actually move us towards repentance 
And repentance uh, is what does bring healing. It's, it's the gift the gospel has given each of us. So this topic um, of racism is not a, a sub idea to the gospel. This is the air that the gospel breathes, that it swallowed up injustice and gave us the gift to repent and be reconciled, to see from a pure view, to feel from the pure view of heaven. And so this morning, I just wanted to look you in the eyeballs and I just wanted to not, not repent for my ancestors and what they did, but to repent for me. And I, I have been in this role for seven years and have, have felt every moment of the honor of loving and serving you. And I have never once directly addressed the injustice of racism and we live in the South and our black community, uh, our black family uh, kisses my cheek, uh, hugs me after messages that you have become some of the dearest people in my life. And my voice has failed you, that my silence has failed you. And I have refused just to post and I'm sorry with a broken heart on social media because family comes first and who we are to our family will always be the most important beyond who we are to the world. And I just want to ask your deepest forgiveness for my ignorance and my silence. And uh, I see that racism is real. Your pain is real. Your anguish is real. The weariness you have felt in only knowing this fight for your entire lifetime, that is real. And I, I, I see that white privilege is real. And I, I have showed up so fully in my white skin today, not in shame, not in guilt, but to use every inch of this skin to go as low as George Floyd and press my face to the pavement and say, I see you, I see you. And in any realm of influence, the gift of privilege is we can use it to go low and lift up what is wrong. And I want my white skin today and every other day from hereafter to speak a message that your skin, your dignity is beautiful and necessary and your equality is what Jesus purchased. And we are a family and honor is not a white table inviting our black family to come sit at it. And honor is not turning a white table into a brown table or a Chinese table and inviting other races to come sit at it. This table, this kingdom table is the father's 
table. And every race, every tongue, every tribe has a seat at this table, not because any human being invited them, but because each of us have been created in the image of a perfect, loving Father with the kindest intention, and He has invited us to this table. And you know, this morning, I just wanted to look together at 1 Corinthians 12 because it, it paints the most beautiful picture of what it means to be the family of God, what it means to be the body of Christ, literally. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, just as the human body is one, though it has many parts that together form one body, so too is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all immersed and mingled into one single body. And no matter our status, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we are all privileged to drink deeply from the same Holy Spirit. And you know, one baptism that we uh, have been receive the privilege of being baptized into is into the body of Christ. And we, we have been so intermingled that I can't see where I end and you begin. That, that you know, he, he goes on to describe the human body is not one separate part and the hand can't, can't say I'm not as significant as the foot, so I don't belong here. That we are one in this body. And down in verse 18, it says, but God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many differing parts and functions, but one body. So diversity from the foundation of the world has been the heart of heaven in mani manifesting heaven on the earth. It's not something that's optional. To see the kingdom actually manifest on the earth, to see the Father in his fullness, it requires diversity. And I cannot know who I am without the diversity of you. I, I actually cannot know I'm a female without seeing a male. I cannot know that I am white without seeing black skin and brown skin, that who I am is mingled inside of who you are. And you know, I remember being in, you know, there, there isn't uh, white people and people of color in the kingdom. We, we are all people of color. That white is actually a color that the father chose, just like he chose black, brown, all the colors, all the races of people. And we learned in kindergarten that white is actually a color. And I remember sitting in kindergarten with the Crayola box, and I would be just going to town on a white piece of paper, and I would get to the white crayon. And you know, when you try to use a white crayon on a white piece of paper, the crayon actually feels useless. And I would remember thinking, this crayon is dumb, and that's why it never gets dull. And you actually cannot see white on white. And then I'll never forget the first craft we did where the teacher handed out a black piece of paper. 
and we got to draw with a white crayon. And it, it required diversity for my true color to find its destiny. And when we, when we think that my fullness of purpose on the earth can be found within myself, we have missed the heart of what it means to be baptized into a body. Uh, your black, beautiful face needs my white, beautiful face to discover the fullness of your diversity, the fullness of your beauty. And we need each other. And the passage goes on to say, it would be wrong for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you. And equally wrong if the head said to the foot, I don't need you. And he goes into, it, it isn't just, I tolerate you. It isn't, I have to squeeze my room and make a place for myself in this body. No, it is, I cannot function as a human being in this body without you. And he, he goes on to say, he, he has done this intentionally so that every member would look after those with mutual concern. And so there would be no division in the body. In that way, whatever happens to one member happens to all. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one is honored, everyone rejoices. You are the body of the anointed one and each of you is a unique and vital part. And, you know, we cannot rise together. We cannot be resurrected as one in the beauty of what Jesus has paid for until we learn to suffer as one. And, you know, sometimes if you, you think about your little toe and it feels like this toe, my baby toe, my pinky toe, isn't a very uh, useful part of my body. And when we, we start dissecting what is the most important part of this body, we have lost the point of the gospel. And you know, the moment you realize how significant your pinky toe is, is the moment you stub it. Has anybody ever stubbed their pinky toe? Like, I feel like Job instantly when I stub my pinky toe. I fall on the ground, I hate my life, and your entire body is reverberating with the reality that a part of me needs attention. And this is what it means to suffer as one. And you know, there, there is a quote going around that has touched my heart so deeply in, in just, the craziness of this season, the, the deeply traumatic from, from COVID to uh, all, all of the racial injustice. And I, I think it was Rick Warren. And he said, we are all in the same storm, but we are not all weathering this storm from the same boat. And, you know, when we talk about white privilege, what we need to realize is nobody chooses the boat they were born into. So my, my boat, the way that I am navigating this storm, the way that I'm navigating my life, it has ruptures and wounds and holes in the boat that your boat does not have. And when we look at black history, you were born into a boat that has generations of anguish, generations of ruptures and 
to truly suffer as one. I can't just stay in my boat and shout encouraging biblical promises that true hope has to feel the weight of reality, that it, it is not living, breathing gospel hope without feeling the weight of reality, that faith without reality is called a fantasy and hurting people, whether it's ourselves, whether it's our black family, uh, whether it's the injustice of the unborn, it doesn't matter what it is, that it actually requires us to climb into the boat of another and see why are you working so hard with that bucket to get the water out of your boat? And we can actually feel the anxiety of the ruptures that, oh my gosh, you are working three times as hard because you inherited a boat with, with ruptures that have no end. And, you know, true love, to truly suffer as one, I've got to pick up the, the bucket and feel what it feels like to be weathering this storm in your boat. And it is impossible to see what another person sees without climbing into their skin. And, you know, this journey for me really began uh, of this deep transformation of, of seeing things I've never seen and feeling things I've never felt and being convicted in a way I've never been convicted because I've always looked at racism and felt like I, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in and I hate the injustice. I hate what I'm seeing, but I don't know how to get in there. And I've always been in awe of black culture. I, I, I can't stop staring at your kids because I think they're so beautiful. I, I love your loyalty to family. I, I love how much you love your mama. I love, I love your creativity and your brilliance and the way that you think and process. But I've, I've always felt like I'm on the outside looking in and I don't know how to get in there. And you know, in January, I started a leadership group and uh, long story made short is it's uh, a group of 10 of us, leaders from all different spheres. And basically I just need help growing. <laughs> And the greatest gift, we're all leaders. Everyone listening to this is a leader because the greatest person you will ever lead is yourself. So if you are a living, breathing human being, you are a leader in this moment leading the most important person you will ever lead. And so the greatest gift we can give the world we're aching to impact is investment into ourself, is healing for ourself. And so I, I started this group in January and there's nine other beautiful, brilliant people that I've fallen totally in love with. Uh, and everything that happens in the group is confidential, but I asked permission um, from Tim to, to share this story. And Tim, um, you know, when I met Tim that first night, I instantly noticed Tim is treating everyone like he's known us forever and we belong in his family. 
And he, he was giving these huge hugs, telling us he loved us so confident and so sure. Uh, I'm like, don't you want to like wait a couple months and see, do you really love us all this much? And one of the things we practice in this group is I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to show you my grief and I'm going to let you meet needs that leaders can be the worst at being self-aware and recognizing and honoring that one, we have grief and two, we have needs. And so we all just jumped in. And I remember the first night, uh, Tim's been in these type of groups for a couple of years and he just gave us the advice. Don't wait six months before you jump in like we're family, just jump in right away. And I tucked it away and we all started jumping in and I noticed Tim was always the first to jump into our grief, to affirm us, to love us. And he was so generous with his, I love you. He was so generous with his, I see you. And it was never just specific for one person in the group. He, he treated all nine of us like we are his favorite and you are my sister. And if you mess with her, you mess with me. And it, it had a profound impact on me. And, you know, a couple months ago, I, I, and I was thinking, when Tim needs us, I'm going to be there. We're all going to be there. And after Ahmad was murdered, he reached for us as a group in his brown, beautiful skin. And he started just processing the reality of what he feels as a black man in America, what he sees and experiences and has never known anything different because he's never lived in another color of skin. And something so profound happened to me in his generosity to share his skin. I, for the first time, felt like I, for a moment, a brief little blimp of time, I felt like I was on the inside of his skin, that he invited us all, the whole group, to see how he sees and feel how he feels. And um, it defeated me. It, it completely defeated me being able to feel just for a moment what our black family, this is our body, feels every single day of their life. And I, I have been in this process of deep repentance and deep gratitude for the gospel that we cannot be the body of Christ unless we share skin, unless we climb in each other's boats and feel the weight of our deficits, feel the weight of our ruptures and say, you don't have to be in a hurry to get over it. You're worth my time. You're worth my grief. And if this, this is not a black issue, this is a family issue. This is a body issue. And, you know, the, the gospel is Jesus himself taking all of his privilege. He, he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. He only knew perfect unity, perfect love inside the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what he did with that privilege is he laid 
down his life and said, I will, I will step inside of human skin. And he didn't look at our grief and look at our suffering and say, I'll send an angel. I'll hand you a podcast. I'll, I'll hand you a book that's really good. It's got great keys on how to get over your grief. No, he, he actually put on our flesh. Isaiah says that he, he actually felt intimately. He carried our grief. He actually stepped inside of it. And it says he became a nobody on our behalf. He, he became someone that the world didn't even want to look at. They actually cringed looking at his face on the cross. And he stepped inside of our skin so we could feel what it feels like to step inside of his. And, you know, I, what I am realizing is the first step in being able to step inside of someone else's skin is to step inside of our own and to own our grief. And whatever you are most aware of on your insides, if, if we haven't received the depth of the gospel that Jesus has decided to look at our grief and say, you are worth my time. You are worth my life. And so many of us are so familiar with feeling pain well up in our hearts and we diminish it. We demean it. We say, you're still dealing with that. There's, there's a harsh voice of condemnation on our insides that says, you should be over that. You, that does not deserve any more time. And when we partner with that cruelty within ourselves, we diminish our own pain and we diminish the price Jesus paid to carry it and become it. And, and we then diminish the pain of the world around us because no matter what we logically believe, the world we're most aware of on our insides is what we will release. And so... Be beginning to affirm, gosh, Jesus made space for me to bleed. He actually invited me to be co-crucified. That it wasn't just a king hanging on a tree by himself. That we carried our little insignificant, broken life that was so hopeless. And he said, come and rest with me on a tree. Come and bleed with me. And you know, when we hear the cruelty of hurry up, that, that is not coming from a, a Messiah who took time. He took generations of time and sat with children, dined with sinners, hung on a tree and took hours to die. And you know, what he did with his skin is he allowed by his stripes, we are healed. So he actually used the skin on his back to shield us from the atrocity, from the hopelessness of injustice, things done to us passed down from generation after generation. And the greatest gift 
we can give the world is to honor your grief, honor the holes in your boat and take the time to bleed with Jesus because to truly be the body of Christ to the world, we have to be safe to let people bleed and no longer be sending a message that, that the black community would have to beg to be affirmed that this grief is real and white privilege is real, that you started out with a boat that does not look like mine. And so your struggle out on the sea is different. It's different than mine. And so what I want you to see today is not just me, but our entire Bethel Atlanta family, white, brown, mixed, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We're saying, look at our white skin and watch us go as low as the shameful things that have been done. Watch us not have to pretend that things are as bad as they are. And when we can truly show our black family that this is not just their pain, because what I have heard in the last couple of weeks is, you know, when we see George Floyd with his face on the pavement being treated like below the dignity of just standard humanity, and we see that white knee choking out his ability to breathe. We don't even treat dogs like that. What I have heard is we are grieved because we see a stranger being treated unjustly. But what we have to realize when we climb in to our black family skin and say, you are my brother, you are my sister, and what they see, they see the faces of their son under that white knee. They see the faces of their fathers and brothers and daughters, and they feel the hopelessness of this powerlessness will never end. And what we want you to see us saying today is we have showed up in the fullness of our white skin and we are using every inch of it to say, when we see that white knee on the head of black skin, we see you. We don't see a stranger. We see our body. We see our family. And we will be the people that use our white privilege until the day that we die with the future of black legacy in mind, with the future of your brown babies and grandbabies and great grandbabies and whatever it costs in our hour of history that we are with you to pay the price for Jesus to get his full reward for the dream of the Father to be restored, to have one family at his table every morning, every night in unity, in fullness of love. And, you know, as, as I just struggled in this agony over the last couple of weeks, I just want to close with this. I, 
I realized, oh, Father, this feels so big. I, I just don't feel like I'm enough. And that is an appropriate way to feel. And you know what, what he said was, your black family, they don't, they don't need you to be enough. They just need you to be love. And so we're committing as a family, as Bethel Atlanta, to the mandate we've always had, we've always burned. I want to become love because God is love. And we are alive to be the body of liter the literal body of Jesus to our city, to our nation, to every human being on planet Earth. And so I just I I just want you to know we see and we're not afraid any longer to boldly say what you've been longing for us to say. And when we can suffer as one, then the promise of the gospel is we know what happens on the third day. We will be resurrected as one. And nothing, every demon in hell thought they won on day one, day two, and then on the morning of day three, the impossible, what no amount of human effort could ever do. The Father and the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave and put every evil spirit under his feet. And the hope of the gospel is today, that same spirit of resurrection power resides in me and it resides in you. And we've been baptized as one inside the fullness of that spirit. And it is living and breathing and having his holy, redeeming, justifying way. I love you guys so much. And I'm just gonna crash the plane because I don't really know how else to end a message like this because this, this will not be the end of the conversation. It will never be the end of the conversation. It is the end of this message. <laughs> I love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.